Welcome to episode 121 of the Swamp Flicks podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. I'm Brittany Lombas. And I am James Cohn. And we are recording in three separate locations in New Orleans, Louisiana. And this is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swamp Flicks. Mm-hmm. And we are recording in uh, very strange times right now. The city lost its power for a few days, and when it came back, it was election time. And it has been election time ever since. It's a week after the election actually happened, and Biden has been declared the president of the United States of America for the next coming election cycle. And the losing party has been keeping the election alive somehow by frivolous lawsuits and insane conspiracy theories that are spiraling out of control every day. And it just will never end. And I'm losing my mind. And there's also been a lot of prayer circles uh, circulating in the Catholic community to pray for our Lord and Savior, Donald Trump. So, Including in downtown New Orleans, a super spreader event to honor God and the president. Are y'all holding up okay? I feel like I'm losing it a little bit over here. Man, it's been hard. So like, you know, the election night and the next day, I didn't know what to feel because early on it showed Trump was in the lead. I'm like, oh my God, I'm getting deja vu. This is Hillary all over again. But then as the mail-in ballots started pouring in, it was clear, you know, Democrats have been pushing the Mm mail-in ballots and Trump has been denouncing them. And so as the state started rolling in, I did get this sense of joy of like, oh my God, like he's actually been defeated. We're moving past this nasty phase in American politics. But then as the last few days have worn on where he's refused to concede just today, you had Mike Pompeo say that there would be a peaceful transition of power to a second Trump presidency. Har har. Right. As a like, and you have Republicans, um, kind of backing him on these claims of election fraud. And now it's just dragging on so long. And I don't know what the next three months, two or three months are going to hold for America. And I don't know what Trump's going to do with his back against the wall. So I, I'm very optimistic about next year, but the next few months is very scary for me. It was really funny. Like on Saturday, when the election was called, my immediate thought was like, what a fucking relief. Like I just felt like a weight was lifted. And then that relief was just completely was just not taking into account that like, Oh yeah, of course they're not going to stop being who they are. Like this kind of like chaotic conspiracy theory, like abuse of power is just a constant that's been for the past four years. I didn't know why I thought that was suddenly going to go away all of a sudden. Well, my only hope is like, I think Republicans are doing this because it's still the party of Trump and they still want to get reelected. So they can't distance themselves too much from him. So they'll play with his, conspiracy theories a little bit, but I've read some stuff where like behind the scenes, a lot of Republicans are congratulating Biden. They know this is all for show for them to get reelected. So I I think ultimately we are going to see Joe Biden become president on inauguration day. That I have no doubt about that. Like I really I'm surprised that I feel optimistic. (laughs) But I think that just from like what I've been hearing on my end with like the Republicans that you know, I'm related to or that I, you know, work with and things like that. Or there's this just kind of like, oh, you know, oh, fuck, whatever. We'll just have to deal with four years of shit. Okay, cool. And even seeing that, like, Fox News hasn't really been entertaining this as much as I thought they would have. 
it's a big surprise. You know what I mean? Like, I kind of thought, like, everyone's going to go, like, batshit crazy. And I think it, it looks like that in some respect. But it's, I don't know. Like, I, I kind of think people will just kind of give into it and just be like, whatever. They'll complain about it for a while. When push comes to shove, either, you know, Trump is just going to leave office without a, a peep and no one's going to hear from him again. Or... You know the security. Oh, that's not going to happen. Or they're just (laughs) well. I thought that because he's so like shameful. Like he's either just going to leave because whatever, or they're just going to have to take him out. Security's going to have to pull him out. He's going out either way. I have no doubt about it. I think the question is like, and he's already made some moves saying like he will run again in twenty twenty four. Because it's making this. That's what's helping him cope. I think is just like a well i lost this time but i'll spend four years waiting for 2024 and it's like all right dude go ahead you know i think and his team's been feeding him that just to get him to kind of shut up but there is something to that where like a record number of voters i know like biden had the most people vote for him of like any president Mm -hmm. in history but trump is right there too and i don't think the republican party has another trump in the wings That could bring out that many voters. So I could see a scenario where for the next four years, he goes on Hannity, Rush Limbaugh, maybe, I don't know, tries to... Oh, he's going to start his own network. network. (laughs) He's going to make his own podcast. Yeah, build his base back up and then come back at it in four years. He's going to be like a supercharged Alex Jones with like actual consequences to the insane shit he says. He's going to lose a lot of his like airtime though as well. You know what I mean? Like people are going to have to seek him out, which I'm hoping. You know what I mean? Like the older population, like they barely know how to use YouTube. So if he's not all over the news constantly like spreading his shit... Well, the, the problem there is that he's, like, entertaining to pay attention to. Like, even if you hate his fucking guts, it's, like, electrifying to hate his guts. Oh, God. Like, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, it's very hard I'm not to pay attention to him. I'm just hoping that the four years will be, like, a cleanse and not having him here all the time. Like, people will be like, okay, I mean, I guess he kind of sucked ass. <laughs> I mean, like, talking to a coworker who's not a Trump supporter, but they're like, man, like, I'm going to miss watching the Colbert show, like, Watching people make fun of him. Oh, like, Joe, Joe Biden him. is full of jokes. They're going to rip him apart. and It'll be a good time. He's full of gaffes. Full yeah. Of ga- yeah. <laughs> well, what was so astonishing to me, like I actually teared up a little bit when I watched that Joe Biden acceptance speech. And it was so odd to tear up at like the most basic political centrist, u- centrist liberal, unity yeah. speech. You're like, oh, my God, this is so refreshing to hear. Because we haven't heard it in years. Yeah, and it's like, okay, we're back to some sense of normalcy. And I guess the fear I have is like, will he actually be able to get anything done? Because, you know, Congress is divided as ever, but whatever. We'll see. At least we're back to some sense of uh, normal. Yeah. Yeah, we have to take the victory as a victory as much as we can. It's just like, this has been mind consuming in a way that few things have for me. And I mean, I guess the last four years I've had to pay attention to politics like on a mm-hmm. daily basis and it's only <laughs> making me more and more like extreme in my beliefs too. I've, I've drifted way far left from where I was four years ago, I think just cause I've been, you know, thinking about it more mm-hmm. cause I have to. Yeah. Today we are going to talk about political movies. So like this election cycle talk will continue. Sorry if you're sick of hearing that, but it's like all I can think about all the time. So uh, I think the timing of, 
uh, this episode, we really had no choice but to talk about the current election cycle that is all but over. It is it is very much over, <laughs> depending and honestly, on your version of reality. <laughs> to, to not acknowledge it would be wrong. It is like the only thing that really matters right now. I mean, mm-hmm. the election of a, a new president post-Trump is a huge deal. So Major. if we're going to talk about movies, it has to be in that context. Yeah. If, if we had picked some other subject too, like I was checking Twitter and the radio so constantly, like I wouldn't have really been thinking about whatever movies I was watching. You know, they kind of had to be on the same topic to, mm-hmm. for me to even look at it. Have y'all been watching anything else besides this election stuff we've been consuming this week? Um, I have been on like a 2020 binge of movies. Like I'm trying to play catch up. So Brandon, you sent us out like a a good list of movies you recommended that are available for streaming. So um, I definitely have been hitting all of that up. But I've watched a couple that weren't on anyone's radar that I kind of wanted to bring up that are interesting. (laughs) I'm excited. Yes. So um, there's three and I'll talk about them real quick because I know we have a lot of a lot to talk about today. The first one that I want to talk about is the movie uh, Judy and Punch. It's an Australian film that came out um, in the U.S. It was released this year, even though it was, I think, initially released in 2019, but it's a 2020 U.S. film. It's um, basically a take, a movie that's a take on the traditional Judy and Punch puppet shows. And it takes place in medieval times where um, Judy and Punch are a married couple who do marionette shows together in this like medieval English village. And Punch is played by the guy who played uh, Charles Manson in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And uh, Judy is Mia Wasikowska. She was Alice in the Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland um, films. So they're kind of big well-known-ish people, I guess, for this kind of small movie. But basically, Punch is this, like, ridiculous drunk. He gets high off of, like, you know, the applause and that kind of person with his, like, marionette shows. And he is kind of abusive. He's an abusive drunk. That's kind of the um, storyline of the... (laughs) Judy and Punch. Famous Punch (laughs) and Judy plays, right? Like, it's children laughing at domestic abuse is, like, the whole... (laughs) set up Mm. yes yes so basically he ends up uh killing their baby accidentally while he's wasted and then he beats judy to death and tries to cover up his crimes and it turns out judy doesn't really die and like this gaggle of witches sort of like these witches kind of help her and she seeks revenge on punch (laughs) It's interesting. Like, it's weird. Like, the way it feels, it feels like a children's time period movie, (laughs) but it's very dark. So it's an interesting watch. Like, it's okay. Like, I would watch it if you're in the mood for something like that. But yeah, I um, enjoyed it. Was any portion of it puppetry or is it all live action? No, there's, there's, uh, it's all live action. The only puppetry is like their marionette shows that they're putting on together, which it doesn't take a lot of the film up a lot of the film, but there are marionettes. Um, so yeah, Judy and punch. It's I, another movie I want to bring up is the movie relic. Have y'all heard of relic? Yeah. It looked really dark too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Dark, um, darker than Judy and punch for sure. So relic, I thought was an interesting horror movie. Like it is a horror movie. 
but it's that emotional horror. It kind of made me think it's not as good as Hereditary by far, but it is on that same playing field as Hereditary where the the horror is like the reality of like how this really taps into your emotions. So in Relic, there is an elderly woman who lives by herself. She obviously is falling into dementia and she goes missing. So her daughter, um, and this is an Australian film. So I think they're living in like either Sydney or some big Australian city. And they, uh, well, her daughter and her granddaughter go to the country where the family home is, where the grandmother's gone missing and they go to find her and she ends up returning. And she's like, you know, obviously been in the woods for a while. She's got twigs and shit on her hair, dirt on her feet. And they're trying to figure out what the next step is. Like, do we put her in a retirement home? Does the daughter move in with her? And all the while there's this bizarre black mold growing around the house. (laughs) And the black mold starts to take over the house as well as Edna who is the um the elderly woman that's her name edna and you're trying to kind of figure out like is she being like all this weird crap happens like you're trying to sort of piece it together in your mind like is it some bizarre family curse that's taking over and trying to take over this old woman but um in the end it's really a movie that's kind of about the the true horror of aging and dying and having your body taken over by like dementia which is terrifying so um that black mold kind of represents that in a way where it takes over edna's body and there's some interesting body horror where like her skin starts to get peeled off to like reveal this like dead corpse underneath it's i don't know it's it's interesting i i thought it was really cool and it's it's not a very common type of horror film, so I liked it a lot. There there's something about those Alzheimer dementia horror films that really get to me. Like there was that um, that Deborah Logan. Yeah. Oh, that, that was so good too. Came out a while back. Yeah, just something about those. I guess because you know I've dealt with that in my family, but that shit is like terrifying on a whole nother deeply personal level. So those always get to me. I think that's a topic that's just kind of in the ether right now too. Cause there's also Dick Johnson is dead on Netflix. That's supposed to be really good. And there's also an Anthony Hopkins movie coming out around like Oscar time where it's like in his head, you're like experiencing dementia through his eyes. So it's a, it's a topic that is apparently on people's minds right now. It's so heavy, man. Well, these are heavy times, heavy times for heavy movies. <laughs> um, the last thing I want to talk about I really, really love this. And I have no doubt that it will like not be in my top 10. So um, I want to touch on it. And it is another emotional (laughs) film, but it's called uh, The Painter and the Thief. It is a Norwegian documentary about this woman who is a painter and two of her paintings get stolen um, from this gallery and she goes to this like court hearing cause they catch one of the guys. Well, they catch both of them, but one's getting, you know, charges pressed against him, I guess. And she approaches him cause she wants to know like, you know, well, why did you do it? But she approaches it in a way out of like curiosity. Like she's not angry about it. And she ends up asking like, you know, can I paint you? And she 
ends up forming this like life-changing friendship with this guy. And the way that the documentary is filmed is that you get the painter's perspective on everything. Like it's through her eyes and she tells you his story. And then it, it flips and a lot of the same scenes repeat, but it's him telling her story, which I thought was really cool. And it's just really awesome. Like it's, it, it's really about like this idea of compassion and forgiveness where normally somebody would be so pissed off if that happened. And this guy was so like fucked up on drugs and stuff that he's like, I don't even know where the paintings are. And she's not mad about it at all. And she like dedicates this time, like spends time with him in her studio and like paints this self portrait of him that makes him like break down and just start bawling because like this idea that someone sees value in him and sees him as this beautiful object, like just like blew him away. And it, the film just kind of follows like their friendship through like a period of time where like he goes to like rehab and he comes back out of rehab and, you know, starts working out and he gets into like Harley Davidson um, stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And then it kind of, this whole process helps her because she was in like abusive relationships and she comes to this realization that she is like somewhat, always drawn to danger and that might have been her an infatuation with him so it's it's very good and it's filmed in such an awesome like way that i really don't see in a lot of documentaries so yeah i freaking love this movie it was Mm. so good so that's pretty much like my big three that i've been into lately so james what have you been watching there's really only there's really only one movie um, lately that has really stood out to me. And I think it is going to end up probably on my top 10. And it was just a random movie. I had the day off. I just turned on Netflix. It, it came up and it actually premiered at Sundance earlier this year. And it was released, I think like the day before Halloween this year, but it's called his house. Oh uh, yeah. I heard about that one again. I, I knew nothing about it. it. It basically revolves around this refugee couple from South Sudan who they're kind of fleeing this genocide and you know they traverse these dangerous waters and they lose their daughter in the process but they are granted kind of temporary asylum in uh, Europe and the European government kind of puts them up in this really like decrepit house like the projects essentially and their neighbors are all racist and um, they're basically told to like just fit in and you can stay here. And the husband character tries to do that. He goes and like tries to watch sports with the guys and all that. And the wife character, she is more beholden to like her homeland and, you know, her like culture that they came from in Sudan. And then in this house that they're living in, a lot of weird shit starts happening. It basically becomes a haunted house story with these crazy visions and dreams and soon it becomes apparent like there's like a night witch that is inhabiting this house and is basically trying to settle some score like we don't quite know why they're being haunted we know it has something to do with their past and with their culture and you know with what they were fleeing in their homeland and 
the last third of the movie really takes it in a very emotional direction. This movie really blew me away. And first of all, like how artfully it was done. It's beautiful. Uh, some of the shots in here and it's the most terrifying movie I've seen this year. Like I would say it's up there with like hereditary where some of this stuff in here like genuinely chilled me to my core. And I was watching this in like the middle of the day. I was like, holy shit, I got to turn the lights on. Like I'm so fucking, it's like very scary, but it has like so much heart and it's kind of about, you know, the demons of our past and of our culture and the things we try to flee. And again, in the last part of the movie, there's this really like brutal twist that puts everything into a new context. And yeah, I, I thought it was one of the best movies I've seen this year. It was really, really good. I've heard nothing but good things from the few people who've seen it. Yeah. I mean, please check it out. Like, I think you guys would like it. Especially I watched it about two weeks ago. Oh, you did? What did you think? It's good. I loved it. I thought, like, to me, like, the horror of it, of course, like, you know, those types of, like, you know, your past following you, kind of, that always gets under my skin. But that part where all this stuff is happening in this apartment, and they're like, we need a new apartment, and just the way that it's like they couldn't escape it, because, like, you're forced like as like a refugee like just that perspective like you basically just went through pure hell and then you get to this place where it's like you can't get a job where you want to get a job you can't move to a different place even if you had the the means to do it you're stuck here and if you want to move into a different apartment there has to be some huge reason and if you do like ask for it they're going to investigate the crap out of you and you risk losing like being able to seek shelter it's just crazy and i think like that made it so terrifying to me because it's like on top of everything they're dealing with like that's there as well right it's like you can't go back you don't want to go back to you know where these atrocities happen you were fleeing that for a reason but that's also your home and then you get to this new place you're trying to make it home but nobody wants you there And so you're stuck in this strange limbo. And then, yeah, in this story, like your house is infested with witches or ghosts. So I don't know. I I thought it was extremely well done. And, you know, I always like a good haunted house story. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. Check it out, Brandon. What have you been watching? I've been doing kind of the same thing. I've been catching up on like 2020 stuff. I've been finding these like small windows to watch movies, though. So like I've been knocking off the shortest uh, movies on my watch list, which are like sometimes the weirder ones. I watched one called Tito the other day, T-I-T-O. I don't know if it's any good, but it was interesting. It's like this actor, her name is Grace Glowicki. This is her first directorial film. She cast herself as this like cowardly man. Uh, she looks like Crispin Glover as if, he was like having like a really bad mushroom trip and was just like terrified of everything around him. So like any sudden noises or like new people or direct eye contact and he like cowers as if these like demons are trying to get to him, but it's not a horror movie. It's a, it's a stoner comedy. Uh, this like really annoying next door neighbor just sort of inserts himself into this guy's life into poor Tito's life. And just makes a bunch of noise and like makes him smoke weed and like watch weird CGI porn and like go to a bar and like 
just basically pulls him out of his shell reluctantly and he's just horrified and cowardly the whole time it's a weird fucking movie i don't know if it's necessarily good but if you want to see the middle ground between like a stoner buddy comedy and like a josephine decker style like art house horror movie that's this <laughs> this weird fucking thing mm. uh and it's on amazon prime but that, that's like the best luck I've had watching these like sort of shorter 2020 oddities that I've missed out on. My best recent watch was a film that I feel like everyone else has seen before. And I felt like I had already seen it just through cultural osmosis. So I never like saw, sought it out, but I just watched misery for the first time and it's nice. so good. <laughs> yeah. The yarn that Stephen King likes to tell is that this is a film about him mentally combating his, addiction to cocaine that like held him captive and made him like write trash novels um because you know his, the addiction was just so overpowering it like made his art suffer but like the movie the rob reiner film has these like really mainstream sensibilities like it feels like a just a cbs drama that just has these like really horrific outbursts of violence um kathy bates plays this like psycho bitty type character who kidnaps her favorite author and straps him to a bed and like beats the shit out of his bones <laughs> so that he can't leave. And then he, she can force him to write the version of his books that she wants to see. And after hearing all those years about like Stephen King talking about this movie being about cocaine addiction, it was like, that's kind of bullshit. It's also about how much you hate your fans. <laughs> and like, especially in recent years, the way that like authors argue with their fans and like fans have these like very specific head cannons, like kind of like the star Wars people who like get upset that like the way they wanted the movies to go didn't happen. That feels very much alive in here. And like, I just liked, you know, both the clash of the body horror against like Rob Reiner's like mainstream kind of feel. And also just like Stephen King's obvious contempt for the people who love reading his work. Like both of those things were very exciting on top of all the like, other things people like about this movie. I mean, Kathy Bates is great too. Yeah, you're right though. Like it's one of those things where everyone has kind of seen it, but then you watch it again and it's still as good as you remember. You know what I mean? It Yeah, it's really good. It's got that psycho bitty flavor that I love <laughs> so much. Um, so if you liked Misery and especially, I mean, Kathy Bates is just insanity in that movie have you seen dolores claiborne no oh my god it's it's she's not as like peppy i guess but she's just like such a a big asshole <laughs> in that movie it's but she's great that's in based it. on a stephen king right yeah yeah it is okay. it's very good and um i used to watch it a lot growing up those two kind of together dolores claiborne and misery and reenact a lot of the scenes with my cousin. So um, we used to do the hobbling scene all the time for sleepovers. Sick fuck. So sick. <laughs> he would get like, um, I would like lie down because I was always Paul Sheldon. And he was always Kathy uh, <laughs> Bates. And he would get like a wooden spoon and just be like, um, the operation was called hobbling. And I could like bend my whole ankle to like meet the middle of like where my leg is. So Eek. it worked out fine. I can't do it anymore. Yeah. Kids are made of rubber. Yeah, well, I, totally. I do have to say though, like I, 
initially was only going to talk about one movie, but since you brought up Misery, I do have to say real quick, I did watch Dr. Sleep recently. That's the sequel to Shining with Ewan McGregor. And I really liked it. Like, I'm not going to go so far as to say it's better than the original because that would be crazy. But I think the story in the sequel is way more interesting than the story in The Shining. You know, um, Boomer, who hosts the Lanyap episodes of the show that we do in between the bigger ones, um, he loves that film. He gave it like a five-star review for Swamp Flicks. And um, next week, he and I are talking about another Mike Flanagan movie. So I think we are going to talk about it a lot, even though I haven't seen it yet. Because it's like only on HBO Max or something. It's like kind of hard to access. But yeah, I mean, I got it. It does look good. I got it out of Redbox. And it's so interesting because it like, it's stuck in this space where, you know, Stephen King did write a sequel to The Shining that it's based on. But the movie kind of is stuck in that it has to pay fan service to the Stanley Kubrick film while also like following the book. And it seems like it would fall on its face trying to navigate that. And I think it does it beautifully. Honestly, the parts where I liked it the least were where it was a direct homage to the original, like specific shots and stuff like that. But I think the actual story that's there is like a more interesting story that's going on. So I, I would, I would like to hear that that podcast. And I do kind of agree with boomer. I might not give it a five, but this is like a four star movie for me. Like I really enjoyed it. Well, (laughs) so I don't know how you're going to segue to what we're about. Uh, I got it. I got it. You got it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's enough. Like uh, fantasy horrors. We're going to get back to the horrors of real life. We were talking about earlier. Brandon, I knew you could pull it off. I thought you were going to be like a doctor do sleep. Like, speaking of sleeping through, I don't Sleepy know. Sleepy Joe. Know. Sleepy Joe Biden. I'm only doing hack transitions from now on. I'm not doing any other content for the show. Uh, y'all can just talk about the movies. I'll do all the connective tissue. Y'all we are talking about, about the election, election for the rest of the episode. episode. My, original My original pitch, pitch for this was, was there, there are a few satires that came out in the last year. That, that felt, felt like, like they, they had, had a shelf life, life that was going to end when the Trump, when the Trump era, era ended. ended. Especially, Especially there was, there was one, one that came, came out a few weeks ago that ends with the phrase, go vote, vote which, which I was thinking, thinking like, okay, okay as, soon, as soon as the election's over, that has already passed its like due date, you know, like it's already over. So it's like a temporary piece of art. So I, I was thinking at the time, like, oh, we're going to talk about the election and movies specific to the election as if we had already moved past it. And that's not really how this worked out. We're still like picking at uh, very fresh wounds here. Um, do these movies feel fresh to y'all still? Do they do they still feel relevant to the moment? Or are we like kind of picking at uh, you know stale material here? I think uh. it's gonna be relevant for a while because of like the culture that these like last four years has like sort of bred. <laughs> you know, like I think a lot of this is gonna be happening for a little bit so i think it's relevant (laughs) i actually disagree a little bit in that i I don't know i feel like this conversation should maybe be towards the end of the episode okay in that i don't know if any of these films really said anything particularly insightful about where we're at politically so i'll leave it at that except for one which we'll get into to be continued tbd And all that's coming up to you 
right now. All right, the media mob, and it is a mob, they're now completely unhinged. They're only getting worse. Goes for Hollywood, too. Look at this, Universal Pictures, set to release a brand new movie about hunting. Yes, irredeemable deplorables for sport. You know, we smelly Trump Walmart voters that cling to our God, guns, uh, religion, and Bibles. Well, now the movie's been pulled. Meanwhile, just last week, you had the psychos at Conspiracy TV, MSDNC, this time Nicole Wallace, claiming that the president called for the extermination of Latinos. Okay, don't expect a real apology from anybody over there. This is pretty much every second minute hour of their day as they follow conspiracy theorists, the best of them all, Roswell, Rachel Maddow. It won't be apologies. They'll just make up the next conspiracy. And now it's time for our movie, The Minute. This is where hosts of the show bounce back and forth recommending films to each other. And I wanted to talk about a Bloomhouse movie that came out earlier this year, but was scheduled for some time last year. It's called The Hunt. It is a most dangerous game riff. So it's about humans hunting humans. And it was a news item uh, because we live in a very stupid world where people take things out of context and only react to headlines and don't actually engage with the material. Basically, The Hunt is a both sides kind of South Park type satire where it's making fun of both NPR type liberals and what Hillary Clinton would call a basket of deplorables. It's about coastal elites. I'm, I'm using the uh, scare quotes of the actual characters in the film. I'll talk like this. Like it's about coastal elites hunting redneck Republicans for sports. Uh, they kidnap these sort of like Trump supporting QAnon type conspiracy theory, nut jobs, transport them to the Ukraine set them loose in a field and then shoot and explode them for fun. Trump and Fox news got wind of this film before it ever hit theaters and complained a lot. Um, and it's release was delayed. Bloomhouse said that um, the release was delayed because of a couple mass shootings, but you know, this is America. There's mass shootings all the time. It's a lot more likely that they just wanted to let it cool down the like death threats. They were probably getting from Sean Hannity um, audience members as the movie was being like basically paraded around as proof that Hollywood was sick. And like, this is how they really think they, they really want to have an excuse to like hunt down conservatives which is really funny because the film itself, when you actually watch it, doesn't really have a political point of view. It's like taking these conservative conspiracy theories where like they are the ones that are not in power. These like persecution complexes that conservatives have and basically blowing that up into an exploitation film premise. This is an action film. There's a lot of blood, a lot of goofy exchanges where characters are like revealed to have these like secret identities and Betty Gilpin from Glow is at the center of it. She gives a really strange performance. It's like almost Nick Cagean. She's like so explosively angry. You could see it like welling up in her eyes, but she contains it and uh, basically acts like a feral animal and gets back at the coastal elites that have trapped her and her fellow deplorables in this country. Um, except that she doesn't really have a political point of view the other way the other people do. A lot of the like Trumpsters that are getting killed on the left and the right of her actually are deplorable, awful people, just as bad as the people hunting them. 
Uh, but she's kind of somewhere in the middle and is just like stuck in the middle of this like fierce political divide. I actually enjoyed this movie as a trashy, cheap exploitation film. I don't think it's particularly smart as a satire. I don't think it has anything strong to say because it is so stuck on wanting to lampoon both sides as if they're like equals ideologically. But as a kind of exploitation of this cultural moment where politics has gotten so polarized in like a very vocal public way. I think this is going to be an interesting time capsule of the culture war that, you know, we're still seeing in this election cycle where like people who listen to Trump and Fox news and get their information only from that source live in a completely different conspiracy theory reality from the rest of the world. And this movie kind of like, exploits that point of view by turning it into like a fun, like, okay, what if their conspiracies were actually correct? So I think if the movie has any value about this cultural moment, it'll be like a time capsule later on to look back and like, this is what American politics looked like right now. Um, and it's very like broad. It's like uh, almost like pro wrestling caricatures of, of those ideological viewpoints. So I, I don't know. I think you hit the nail on the head with that, um, especially with the pro wrestling thing and with Trump coming into power and how he, you know, apparently kind of learned his political style a little bit from his time in WWE. You know, before before you uh, started talking about it, you know, I said one of these films I thought had something like real to say that was kind of of the moment. And this is the one. Whoa, I'm surprised by that. I'm it, so surprised. And I think it's the one because it's messy. Because when you really try to sit down and... It, you know, I know it's kind of this both sides are bad sort of thing. But when you actually try to parse that out, it's very murky. And I feel like that murkiness is, you know, where two sides are living in completely different realities and how they both kind of feed on each other. That to me was probably the most like important political observation of the three movies we're going to talk about. Interesting. I get where you're coming from with that. I didn't think about it that way. What did you think of the movie in general, Brittany? I thought it was fun. Um, like, but like good, stupid fun. <laughs> I, I found it to be entertaining. I was really surprised by the amount of violence in it, um, which really wasn't a turnoff for me. I was fine with it, but I loved how fast paced it was. Like there are all these kind of, big name actors like within that show up in this like initial scene right like the 12 people who are like gagged and get all their weapons and stuff and they die almost instantly (laughs) so I'm like what is going on like I was kind of expecting like such a different storyline and I thought it was going to be more of like the I mean of course they're being hunted but the hunting lasts for like not very long like they're immediately just like shot and like blown up within like the first few minutes of this like big hunt starting, you know? So I thought that was pretty uh, surprising about this movie, but I liked it. I, the main character scared the shit out of me. She is so good in this. Terrifying. Like she looks like at any moment she would snap your neck. 
<laughs> just this like you could this tension that seems to be held within her and her I, I think it's just her calmness in all yeah. these crazy scenarios is what just makes this her character so terrifying to See, me <laughs> yeah i think her being the protagonist is an interesting choice in that you know she's an iraqi or sorry afghanistan war veteran but she also works at a car rental agency and so and she's apolitical so her as the protagonist is this weird it's playing to the right in that she's a war veteran but she's also this blue collar customer service person but she also doesn't care about politics really she's just trying to survive that's an interesting choice to make her the protagonist like i thought about that a lot and i don't know again if the movie had a point in making her that or if it was just trying to play it safe if there is a point it's in the classism like the political gulf between her and like the head of the conspiracy that she fights for 15 consecutive minutes at the end of the film. Like the divide between the two of them is all wealth. Like she is so angry about this like shithole life she has to live while, you know, these like wealthy NPR type, like neo libs. Right. Basically treat her as a plaything And like, that anger is so visible in her face and the way she talks and it's, she can barely contain it. And then the violence is like a huge relief for her. And it's so weird to watch. But isn't that like, again, that's sort of this populist message that someone like Trump does. He does feed into people's anger in the same way that like a Bernie Sanders also feeds into people's anger just from the left. And it is populism and that is, I think you're right. Like, that's what she rep- represents. And that feels true to how people on both sides feel now. Like, the Trump era feels like a populist era. True. And that's where the wrestling, like, if you can paint with a broad brush and like, kind of remove the humanity of your political enemies, like, it's so much easier to get people riled up. And I think in this case, too, like, Part of the reason the both sidesing doesn't bother me the way it does some people is because the left side of that divide in this film is a specific like capital D Democrat type liberal. Like I wouldn't even call them leftists. They care about like climate change and about like gender identity and, you know, left type issues. But it's it's in this like the kind of people who would like cheer on Nancy Pelosi or get like a, a Ruth Bader Ginsburg tattoo. Like it's a very empty kind of like political ideology that like doesn't consider class or you know workers rights or anything like that it's it's not actually trying to make any change it's basically like they're conservative in their own way yeah they're centrist yeah well it's it's interesting though that the filmmakers okay when you're doing this dangerous game scenario someone has to have the power you know like someone has to be hunting the other people and i wonder what the film would look like if it was the conservatives hunting the liberal Democrats. And I feel like I've seen that before, though. Have you? Yeah, like Deliverance or 10,000 oh, Maniacs. It's just usually, a common idea, too. So, yeah, this is kind of flipping it. Yeah, usually it's like big city people go into a small town. Like even Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like a lot of horror films are about, you know, leaving your like erudite safe spaces and going out in these like wild countries where people have guns and like no moral center. But in this case, it's kind of like 
a fantasy scenario like liberals especially this type of liberal are not usually like bloodthirsty gun nuts you know they don't like get off on like giant bazookas <laughs> the way that like a redneck caricature type you would expect to see in the movie you know right but the movie is exploiting that type of conspiracy theory like part of like right-wing rabble-rousing like populist politics is getting people to feel like they're being persecuted like the way that um evangelicals make it seem like there's a war on Christianity, even though they control most cultural institutions and like every other faith or lack of faith is like hard to navigate in public. Like being Christian is the default, but they still have a persecution complex somehow. And this movie is like taking that point of view and blowing it up into an exploitation genre scenario. And I find that kind of interesting. Yeah. And I I think it's smart. And I think towards the end of the film, it gets revealed that there actually wasn't a, a hunt. It was like, I guess a conspiracy theory brought about by, you know, the QAnon conservative crowd. And then the liberals decided like, well, we might as well actually do it. And it seems to be saying that both sides, negative characterizations of the other side feed into themselves and create this like division, which I thought I hadn't really thought about it that way. And I think that is, I don't know, there's something to that that I think is sort of where we're at right now. Like the right characterizes the left in a certain way that has a tinge of truth and we characterize them a certain way. And it just leads to like further and further division. And I don't know how you bridge that gap. And it leads to more and more violent rhetoric and actual violence as we're seeing. So this movie, like I said, is messy in what it's trying to say, but I think the messiness sort of works for the time we live in. And it helps that it's like deliciously entertaining and very over the top, like violent and just fun. And I think it might have something to say. It might not. And that, that feels true to 2020. I don't see it as having like a particular point of view or like a specific message. I see it as like a cultural, like temperature check. Like, this is where we're at right now. This, like, coming to blows, this violent expression of, like, how far apart we are. And I I love how the film, like, uses a lot of this, like, modern political terminology throughout. Like, they're smart with, like, their language. Like, they use the terms, like, you know, like, snowflake or... Libtard. Libtard, Mannergate, which is, like, you know, a, a spoof on Pizzagate. You know, things like this, and it, I mean, hopefully this becomes a time capsule because all this shit comes to an end at some point, right? And we can look back at this in 20 years and be like, oh, remember when everybody called everyone snowflakes? I mean, you would hope, but like this was made before QAnon became such a publicly like accepted norm that like to the point where politicians are running on that as a platform and winning elections. Save our children. This was made before that even happened. So any, if anything, it's only gotten more relevant, which is terrifying. I prevent myself from diving deep into the QAnon world to understand any of it or why people give it any thought. Um, but I'm curious of what that community thought of this movie did any of y'all like read up on any of it or do y'all know anything i watched clips of the coverage that fox news did when they were like barking mad about it and i think it was kind of the same as like when cuties got singled out earlier this year 
I think they use the headlines and the promotional materials to like push an agenda. And then when the actual movie was available, no one actually engaged with the material as it is on its own terms. Like it was all about riling people up and not actually like dealing with the substance. So like by the time this came out this year, no one was talking about it. It just kind of came to drive-ins and uh, whatever other theaters were open and then disappeared like most cheap exploitation films, which is kind of appropriate. It never should have been in the national spotlight in the first place. It makes it feel even better, you know, when you watch it (laughs) knowing all that. Um, but yeah, like I'm, I'm like, there's gotta be like a group of people who are like, this movie was made by the liberal elites so that they can give us messages about what they're really doing <laughs> and we're ignoring it. Like there has to be a, like a group of people who really think this movie is some kind of weird message. So I'm curious. I'm just shocked how easily they pick out like a random target and get all these, like both real people and bots to like amplify that message. So there's like a huge flurry of activity. And then it feels like weeks later, they have like amnesia over it. Like it just kind of goes away. Um, and they're on to the next target, the next hit job. It's so annoying to me how it's like movies are like the target now. You know what I mean? It's like, leave movies alone, you big assholes. From what I was reading though, like actual audiences, like test audiences that saw this were not offended at all. Like, Actual people that sat in a movie theater were just kind of like, oh, yeah, they're poking fun at both sides. Ha ha. I don't get the sense that a lot of people that watch this were like deeply affected. That just feels like sensationalism, you know, and that's kind of what Fox News does. Which is funny because that's exactly what the movie's making fun of. (laughs) It works. Yeah. I I mean, I didn't really look too deeply at it. I just kind of saw it as like the message I got, if there was one or if there was an attempt at one was um, how dumb it is that we only have like these two strong sides that are so visible in our country politically. That's kind of what I picked up from it, but I didn't really give it too much thought because I thought it was just like trying to be fun. Yeah, there's absolutely no room for nuance if these are your only two options. Good cake. My wife made it. My wife! (laughs) (laughs) Borat! Do it again. Jeff, get in here. You gotta hear this. My wife! (laughs) (laughs) No! At the top of the episode, I mentioned that there was a movie that came out a few weeks ago that ended with Go Vote in capital letters. And that was Borat, subsequent movie film. It's a 2020 sequel to the 2006 film Borat. Uh, which I'm guessing we all saw in theaters, or at least a lot when it I first saw came it with out. My grandmother, <laughs> dude, the, it, it was the strangest. Like I had no idea what to expect, and we brought her to the movie theater, and she was disgusted, and she thought it was like not funny at all, and she almost walked out during that that naked hotel romp. Def, definitely one of the most memorable viewing experiences of my life. Did you laugh a lot? I did when I first saw it, and then I watched it again, what, like six, seven months ago? I don't know. It it could just be me. It did not age particularly well for me. I don't remember anything about it, honest to God. Like, because I watched it, like, when it came out on video to rent, 
which was like when I was in high school. So that's the last time I saw it. And it was very fuzzy, but I do like Sasha Baron Cohen. Like I like his, this, um, this is America series a lot. So I was expecting more of that humor in this. So I think this is actually more of this is America, Sasha Baron Cohen than original Borat, just because he has to play with different characters. Cause the, gig is up like everyone knows who borat is which is kind of the premise of the movie yeah i think it was really smart for them to start with that like he comes to america for a second round and immediately he's accosted on the street by a bunch of people they're like borat borat sign my arm um and he has to like run away from them so the the jig is up and the movie kind of shifts from candid camera type interviews to scripted skits with his like daughter and there's a couple like real people mixed in but for the most part it's very stagey in a way that the original i don't remember being it's probably been about 10 years since i've seen the original one and judging by the way the humor is in this film i don't know that i would find it as funny as i did in 2006 like i didn't find this very funny no i didn't either and i think again because i watched the original pretty recently i think the difference is like in the original, he could kind of give people just enough rope to hang themselves. And in this one, because a lot of it didn't feel that like voyeur type of thing he was doing, it was more staged and scripted and it just kind of lost its edge a little bit. For, I mean, for me, like I thought the parts of the film that worked, the scripted stuff was the stuff with him and his daughter which is a big storyline. Like this one had a little more heart. It had like a heart of a story. Ultimately, father daughter story. Yeah. I don't think it was particularly funny. Unfortunately. I I think the difference between 2006 and now though, is like the original Borat premise was that he would, like you said, give people enough rope. Now you don't need to trick people into saying evil things in public. They just kind of broadcast it proudly. Uh, so like that's not gonna be as funny now. It's like kind of sad. Did you find this funnier than we did, Brittany? Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know. I thought y'all were gonna be like, yeah, I thought this was really fun. <laughs> I I don't know why. I don't know why, but I laughed so much, and I think I enjoyed um, Maria Baklava, his daughter, Tutor's character a lot. She was great. And I like that satirical style of humor, like how she was so like literally like a woman in a cage, which it's, (laughs) I think it was funny because it was so sad. A lot of it, I was like, oh God, no. You know, I was like, shit, this is so insane. And, but then I was laughing too. I don't know, like the shift in the way I felt emotionally about it. Like I was laughing a little bit when he was at that that huge like March for our rights thing where he gets up as like country Joe or whatever and like sings this song and then it gets very intense. And then people in the crowd start like doing like, you know, the Hitler salute. But that is not unusual anymore. Like those people, they're singing a song about killing journalists. But if you watch any of like Trump's speeches in the weeks up to the election, it's all like lock her up, lock them up shut them down they should be deported that's treason like they just sort of do this now it's just the balance where you you've got this humor and like just his character i thought was funny and then like it shifts to that where you're like oh god like it kind of 
it pulls you back to this gross reality, but there's still this humor going on in the background. It, it's weird. Like I just felt I, weird. Ultimately, like I think what this movie is going to be remembered for, unfortunately, like what it builds up to is what I had like read in, you know, newspapers a week before it came out. Like, Oh, the new Borat movie has the sensational scene with Rudy Giuliani in a hotel room with, you know, his supposed 15-year-old daughter. And you're like, waiting for it. The big payoff. And then it happens. And I don't know how y'all felt about it. I thought it was completely underwhelming. Uh, okay. He he was, like, inappropriate, I think, for sure. For sure. And I, and I think that if Sasha Baron Cohen wasn't there, or if the camera crew wouldn't have, like, prevented it from going further, I think right, more would have happened. Well, okay, there in the film she's a 15-year-old girl in this interview with Giuliani, she's a reporter who's like offering him to like, "Hey, have a drink over in my room." And then he lays down and there's question of did he put his hand in his pants to tuck his shirt in or to jerk himself off? And then Borat jumps out and it's this big gotcha moment and for the whole film to kind of build up to that I don't think it was like a payoff for me in the way that like in the original the payoff was that naked sex not sex scene but there him and his like assistant guy just running naked through the hotel that's a gotcha moment I mean that's like a memorable thing I don't I don't feel like the Rudy Giuliani thing it's hard to compete with Giuliani pranking himself with the four seasons landscaping right, company which, uh, that, bit. <laughs> that is exactly what I was going to say, Brandon. That is something out of a Borat movie. That's more sensational than anything in the film. I, you know, he's in between a dildo store and a crematorium because they can't book an actual like four seasons hotel. You know, it's like hard to mock like this administration and these people because they're so incompetent. And yeah, that's how this felt to me. It's like, it's all out in the open. We know how awful they are. I still enjoyed the way that, like, I don't know, like, I didn't look at the Giuliani bit as, like, the big payoff, I guess, because I knew, like, the headlines and a lot of the articles were over-exaggerating it, because, like, the more I looked into it before I saw the film was, like, oh, like, he announces she's, like, 15 after the fact, and you know, he was adjusting his microphone and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, so it's not as insane. But I think it was just what really was sort of the shock factor to me that was uh, probably shouldn't have been shocking is how they were able to get that far. How they were it able to get through. <laughs> well, he got through TSA in that fat suit as Donald Trump when he was going to like that Mike Pence rally yeah, and like a Mike penis and uh, yeah, throws a girl over his shoulder and like offers him to able, him as a gift. Yeah. Like he was able to get through security with this ridiculous fat suit. They basically put him through the metal detector and he's like, Oh, I have a pacemaker. And they were like, all right, you can go through. Cause he was just a fat white guy, you know? And I just like was like wow like I think that the parts that he exposed like how they were able to kind of like get through this security like get this footage at this rally with this huge joke and then get this Rudy Giuliani interview and even after the fact of the film like she was able to go to like a White House press conference <laughs> like she she like got her way to where she was like 
just steps away from like a podium at the White House and she's not even a real reporter. I think like I like how they pushed a lot of those boundaries with all their jokes and I do like how it went like outside of this movie too. I don't want to let Giuliani off the hook either for that scene like whether or not he was tucking in his shirt or knew anything about that reporter's age he's still gross like he's like touching her lower back and like calling he her is, sweetie and we know yeah. they're not acting professionally but yeah. we already and, knew that he was a gross ghoul before oh, totally. they were ever in that room together totally like he's he's so disgusting with his like george washington wooden teeth situation <laughs> and i think it's the fact that like he got on the bed and put his the way like his mannerisms were not professional and right, I know, right, like, yeah, yeah, don't expect anything more. But I think that a lot of it is like, you know, this is him. And this is how he doesn't give a shit. So think about but, all the people he's probably done shit to. Well, of course, like, ultimately, though, it's a comedy. It should be funny. Yeah, And, like, nothing about that was funny. Whereas, like, Brandon talked about that press conference they gave out in this <laughs> parking lot. That is hilarious. Like, you can't satirize this shit. Real life is stranger than fiction. It's impossible to satirize Trump. That's like the problem we keep coming to. Which might um, be part of the reason why the stuff with the daughter is like funnier than some of the like very topical like Mike mm-hmm. Pence and Rudy Gi- Giuliani trolling. Right. Like, like I think the funniest scene for me was the te- the debutante ball. Right. Yeah. Um, he told the people at this debutante ball that was hosted for the film that it was supposed to be some sort of like coming of age story about this girl. <laughs> so they had no idea that it was like going to be part of this like Borat movie. So I think like all of their expressions were very priceless for me when the dance started to get intense. <laughs> and the, the, the taboos that she specifically is offending people with are kind of still shocking to kind of Puritan American sensibilities, like the menstruate in that sequence or the like Frank abortion talk in with the pastor. Yeah. Those were my two favorite. Also (laughs) the masturbation monologue she gives to like the conservative (laughs) woman's conference. Like her stuff is really hitting like hot wire issues. I think where like we already know, who Pence and Giuliani are like, there's nothing really to expose there, but like that discomfort that she specifically is weaponizing that those are the funniest moments in the movie. Um, but right. the other ones make headlines. It, it kind of reminds me like, like I never get really get to talk about this. I love SNL. I've watched SNL my entire life. Every week people talk about how awful the political stuff in SNL is, and they are correct. It is bad. I don't watch those segments. Like I skip the cold opens where like Alec Baldwin and Jim Carrey play the two candidates. Like I, I don't watch those cause they're not funny. I like but, the, the written at three in the morning, like weirdo sketches. But uh-huh. if you look at the coverage that SNL gets all of the media attention, the like Twitter speak, the thing that keeps them in the news is those like toothless, spoofs of like what happened in the headlines this week yeah. and that just like keeps the lights on and pays the bills and yeah. i kind of felt like that with this borat movie too like the giuliani and pence stuff paid the bills so that he could collaborate with this younger actor on these like other weird experiments with like where they're like trolling plastic surgeons and you can kind of see them 
giggling under their breath while the other one like trolls these people. Right. It was kind of a mixed bag for me. Like I thought that no. stuff was very funny and the other stuff was just kind of paying the way for that. And that's absolutely correct. Like the 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 more so like big name political shit to me I like I thought it was mildly it was funny, but it wasn't like the the heart of this and I guess like why I would recommend people watch it. I wouldn't recommend it for those bits, but I, I loved a lot of the father daughter shit that they pulled. I agree. <laughs> I I definitely agree with the father daughter stuff and her character especially being the highlight of this film. But at the end of the day, I don't think it had as many laughs as the original when it first came out. Because like I said, when I rewatched it, some of those laughs sort of faded away. Maybe that just happens with time. I don't know. But I still enjoyed it. Like, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not I think it's fine. Movie. Like, it, it's got a, enough laughs and like gasp moments. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe they did that. It's to like justify the time commitment. It's just not very culturally relevant to this moment, even though it is like so topical to this selection cycle. I do think in general, though, that format where you're mixing scripted material with candid gotcha style, like gonzo pranks on people, I think that is a very smart way to try to deal with the current political climate because the mixture of reality and fiction is so blurry right now, which I I think also pertains to Mr. America, which was the other movie we watched for today, mm-hmm. uh, which was Tim Heidecker's movie from last year. It does the same kind of like half the cast is hired actors, but it's hard to tell which ones are which because it's so dry in its humor that you can't tell who is real and who is fake. And then the other half is like Borat style, like man on the street pranks but also done just as dry. Like it's an irony soaked film, whereas Borat's a lot broader. Well, and I think the irony is a big thing to talk about. I think we've talked about that a lot in regards to like Tim Heidecker. Like, is that irony, is it biting anyway? Like, is he really saying anything about the political landscape or is it just this sort of nihilistic, uh, none of, this matters. It's all awful. I'll do like like, a a full disclosure warning here. Like we talked about Mr. America a lot when we recorded our best of 2019 episode, I believe it was high on Britney's list of movies for the Mm -hmm. year. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had to cut out a lot of that just to make that episode a reasonable length. Uh, The recording (laughs) was like four hours or something insane like that. So unfortunately, (laughs) a lot of that didn't make it to the cut. So it's actually a good thing we're like looping back to talk about it in this context. Um, And I I do think irony is the like overriding comedy style he's gone with. And I, I know he's aware of it because he made the comedy a few years ago, which is about the toxicity of living an entirely ironic detachment from reality, even as a goof, which is ironic in its own way. It's like, he knows how toxic this is. And yet he does it here. I, I have very conflicting feelings about Tim Heidecker. So I do as well. And, and I think he's only going further and further into a very specific bit that is just spiraled out of control. And Mr. America feels like a part of that. It doesn't feel like its own separate piece. It is part of the on cinema at the cinema universe, which I believe has over 10 seasons of YouTube uh, episodes (laughs) 
attached to it um, in a hours-long public trial. Um, <laughs> and also hours and hours of Oscars coverage. And <laughs> he's playing a heightened version of himself in all these things. He is Tim Heidecker in quotation marks. Um, mm-hmm. And this is his basically his very long-running post Tim and Eric performance art project where he's like turned his persona into a goof that just never ends. And it's always ironic. Um, in this particular movie, all the on cinema at the cinema storylines and the public trial of Tim Heidecker storylines are referenced in the film, but they try to catch you up on that as much as they can to capture the specific moment where in 2018, Tim runs for the district attorney position in San Bernardino, California. Um, He's trying to win this election only to get revenge on the prosecutor who tried to convict him for murder for selling poisoned vape (laughs) juice to (laughs) attendees at his um, electronic music festival. And to explain any more of that would take so much of the time that we don't really have. Uh, (laughs) But basically it's a pathetic fly on the wild documentary it's kind of spoofing like wiener i feel like is kind of it's like touchstone and like recent documentary filmmaking um where it's just following him around he's trying to get his name on the ballot and fails and still pushes on and tries to hold these like public town hall debates with his fellow candidates who don't entertain him in any way and he's just nothing and he loses <laughs> the election at the end and concedes and i'll just say like Without going any further into like the plot for plot details, because there's a lot we could pick out and talk about what's funny and what's not. The reason we're talking about it in this context is that he's vaguely spoofing Trump's populism. Mm-hmm. He is a awful man who wears ill-fitting suits, has no sense of like public decorum, treats women and immigrants and anyone who's not him like total shit and just steps all over them and his only platform really as a political candidate is to call his enemies the same name over and over again he calls his like fellow da candidate a rat and it says we've got a rat problem we've got to drain the swamp <laughs> and over and over again says these sort of like mantras so that there's no actual platform to- for what he's running on it's just like name calling and bullying and like boorish behavior, which is very Trumpian. So the movie feels mm-hmm. like it is spoofing Trump type politics and like this specific political moment, even though it's not as topical as Borat. Like he doesn't name check Mike Pence and R- Rudy Giuliani the way that um, Borat would. But he does capture the essence. I, I think that's true. Okay, y'all both saw this movie before I did. Y'all saw it last year when it first came out. Do you think of it any differently, like considering it in the context of like the Hunt and Borat sequel? Is it any different in this conversation? Like, were you already thinking about these like Trumpian themes? Okay, for me, I watched his stand-up special recently, which I loved it. Honestly, like I thought it was hilarious. Some of the funniest stuff he's done in a long time. But it was weird because he's kind of doing the same thing, right? He's like spoofing it's like he has the idea of what a comedian is he has the tools you know how to segue from a joke or how to like have the audience shout out you know he has the tools but he's just awful at it and this feels like the same thing where he's a politician who knows 
the political tools, you know, I got to fundraise, I got to do ads, I got to, you know, call my opponent out. It's like he knows how to do the thing, but he's horrible at it. And that, I feel like that was really funny for me in the, like him poking fun at bad comedians. I think for him poking fun at like bad politicians, especially after living four years under Trump, the irony didn't work for me. You know what I mean? Like it was like too serious of a thing. I know that's like boring to say like that we shouldn't be ironic about politics or nihilistic about politics, but I don't know, man, after four years under this president, like I've lost my sense of humor. Yeah, I don't I think that's the right to go. Yeah, I mean, I kind of tried to figure that out, like, watching it recently, because I saw it more as, like, I mean, it is funny, it's a comedy, but I think watching it again more recently, and, you know, for this episode, I kind of looked at it through that lens where, you know, is he trying to show how how ridiculous these types, these, like, Trump-type politicians are, this film shows like what you would assume the reality of it would be like, like, obviously they're going to lose. No one's going to pay attention to these idiots. And it kind of makes the horror of the fact that people like his character in this movie are grasping the attention of people more, but like what he's kind of portraying is sort of like what it should be like. Yeah, at the end of this film, he loses the election and then immediately makes a concession speech call to Vincent Rossetti, his, like, sworn enemy, which, you know, it's not a nice call. He still, like, sends insults and is, like, drunk and slurring. Also, at the end, he's, like, still crafting his own narrative. You know, he's like, hey, make sure you get that shot. This will be a good shot of me, like, conceding. So it's still cynical in nature of, like, what politics is... It's all image. But he does deliver a concession speech, which is a low bar that Trump has not cleared, even though he also lost his election. He hasn't met it yet, but we'll see. Uh, But yeah, I think that he really with this show is like he's showing like there is this huge level of narcissism that someone who has like the nerve to like run for office. Like you have to have some sort of like high self-value or something and i think like the fact that he thinks he's like the shit and sh- it does show it in a comical way but i'm like no like i think all politicians have that vibe i mean they have to if anything this might be a view of like okay so trump is a populist politician who is appealing to these working class people who feel powerless in a system where the gulf between the rich and us is getting like wider every year and insurmountable and trump is sort of pushing this idea that like oh you're being held down by overreaching government if i clear that out of the way then everyone gets rich which isn't really what happens the money doesn't really trickle down when people make more money on the top if tim's doing anything with this character it might be what happens when someone really believes that bullshit and like believes that self-importance and that like okay if i act like him like my hero and i try to like run on that tea party type candidacy but don't have the money and the privilege that like backs that on a financial level 
then it just is is failure. Like he can't buy his way in the office the way that Trump can or other like populist politicians can. He just sort of like goes nowhere and remains in shit. It's it's like the same game plan, but without any of the firepower on an economic level. Um, so it's it's like a power fantasy that just never leaves the ground, and it's just fucking sad. Like compared to the hunt, which I thought was very fun, and Borat, which I thought was very broadly comedic and has like a lot of fun moments. This movie's just gross, and I actually liked it more than Borat, even though I didn't think it had as many like out, laugh out loud moments. Just because it captures just how grotesque and like uncomfortable and just ugly the current political moment is. Like, this is a fucking ugly movie. Well, when he's like in bed, slobbering, drinking Bud Light. Ugh. Like, like just proudly boorish. You can yeah. smell like, the Bud Light and the old McDonald's french fries in that dirty hotel room. Well, I, I think also one thing, one thing he does kind of capture about the Trump era is like, throwing the people underneath you under the bus, you know, it's always your campaign manager's fault or your advisor's fault. It's never you. It's like, you just did a poor job uh, and you suck. Yeah. So that like that ability or inability to like self-reflect, you know, I think he, he does capture a lot of that about Trump style politics. I, I guess I just question what ultimately is the merit of that? I mean, it, you know, I did laugh, but if we're talking about like, what does this mean for us? Like, you know, we're talking about post-election and politics. Like, did this have anything to add to the conversation? Like, no, probably not. I mean, just a silly little movie. Yeah, it's it's interesting, too, because like aside from like the political aspect of it, like Tim Heidecker on his own, like with, you know, his stand up and, you know, his on cinema character, his character in this movie, his character that he does on his office hours podcast, like he has a very aggressive and like yeah. mean style of humor that I just find so funny. And he's, it, it's getting more like intense as time goes by. Like the quote unquote, Tim Heidecker that he is playing. is just becoming a monster. <laughs> but See, okay. That's, I think what really bothers me about him is like, I've heard him on podcasts and stuff and he has very strong, genuine political views. And that does not come across in his work. No. And why not? Especially now, like, and we're living in such a political time, like, why take the ironic route? Like, be genuine. Tell us what you really believe. What What are you willing to, like, die for, protest for? Like, you know, that that's what bothers me with some of his stuff. But I do find him funny. I'm not <laughs> trying to be all negative. I mean, he's pretty vocal oh, about some stuff on, like, social media and his podcast a little more than he is in, like, some of his, you know, comedy features and some of his, like, main shows and stuff like that. But I get what you're saying. But why, why does the comedy have to be separated from the person? Like, I thought that was the whole idea of I think by comedy. specifically satirizing Trump's persona, he is taking a political stance. It's just, like, so wrapped up in irony and, like intellectual remove where like you have to be in on the joke 
to get what he's saying, which is like so it's a lot of work to ask from an audience like to have watched 10 seasons of on cinema to fully enjoy what he's doing here is a big ask. And I, I dropped off probably like three or four seasons into that show, which I, I enjoyed. It was just like a lot of content that like, it just feels like it's spiraling out of control and maybe his commitment to that canon and like how niche it's becoming is even a joke in itself. Like to, tune into his stand-up comedy special where he like runs onto the stage and then like fiddles with the microphone before telling a joke for like several minutes on end and just cursing and like throwing the stand around because he can't get it to work correctly. Like he is tapping into something I think about this moment, like about dysfunction too. like the fact that he can't do anything and his brain is just empty and like, base an animal like i feel that like i feel fucking dumb and i fumble with things and i can't think coherently but i feel like he's getting also at people that are so confident in something that they're very bad at like yeah confidence is what matters in 2020 like if you're the most confident person in the room like you get the most attention and you matter the most and it doesn't matter if you're actually good at comedy at politics at whatever, like as long as you're confident, Whoa. you're gonna be okay. Isn't that difference between confidence and competence like one of the reasons why Trump is so infuriating in the first place, though? Because like Joe Biden is not a candidate that most people I know, including myself, were like particularly excited about. Like he is part of the problem in a lot of ways, but he is a competent, like even keel cog in that machine. Whereas like Trump is like so obviously bad at everything he does and yet he keeps succeeding. And that's like, what's so frustrating. He's so confident about what he's doing. Right. Just losing the election. He's like, no, I didn't lose. We're going to do recounts another four years. It's like, what? Like what? But his, you know, supporters eat that up. And I think people in general, whether they want to admit it or not, are attracted to that boorishness. Yeah, I, th- I think he is specifically spoofing that. Like, he is showing it for how ugly and upsetting it is. And, like, most of his interactions in this film, I I wasn't laughing out loud at it, except for, like, the obvious, like, gags. Like, when he had the we have a rat problem sign that was supposed to be a smear campaign, but he was, like, putting it in restaurant windows. <laughs> um, like, that's funny. That's a bit. But, like, when he's just spilling Bud Light on the floor of his like shitty hotel room and like having his campaign manager clean it up because she's a woman and he just doesn't see her as a person. Like it's gross and it's supposed to be gross. And I think he captures something like very specific about that. Do you know who I think is like the savior of this movie too is Greg Turkington who has long been Tim's foil in all these movies and uh, TV shows and it's like sworn enemy almost. Yeah. It, it, be, it's so interesting how that relationship got to this point. And I don't know if I would have found that funny at all if I hadn't seen the few seasons of on cinema I did watch, but him calling Tim out on his bullshit, especially at the public town hall debate at the end and like saying like, no, you're a murderer and <laughs> an awful human being and you're bad at everything you do. It's so satisfying and so funny. Uh, maybe because we've watched four years of Trump 
hold these like conferences and uh, press events where people don't call him out on the lies in real time. Like it's like satisfying to have him like, where has Greg Turkington been? Yeah. You know, can we get him out there? (laughs) I mean, he's pathetic and awful in his own way as well, but um, yeah, his bits in this movie, I thought were so funny. Like the, when he's like having this like secret meeting with like the documentary crew um, and like, you know, kind of giving them all these bizarre facts about the park that they're meeting at. <laughs> Digging VHS tapes out of the trash. The Shaggy DA. Yes, the Shaggy DA. And like when he's like, you guys are going to want to see this. <laughs> and then him going through all the tapes and like picking out the good ones. And I don't know. I thought I laughed till I cried when I first saw that. And I, I still found that to be so freaking funny. You also saw this with an audience too, right? We've all yeah. Uh, James and I watched this at home. They had a one night um, showing of it at the Broad. Whenever I think it was like released, it came out in theaters for like a day or two or something. Um, yeah, it was a lot of it was a lot of fun. It was like a full house. And you know, like I think maybe Borat might have been funnier with an audience as well. Probably you're right. I mean, it's one of those things. Like it, I don't like to think about those times because it's sad. Because like God knows when that'll happen again. It seems like such like an ancient, you know, tradition to go to the movie theater with a crowd. Yeah, like horror and comedy. I feel like are the two genres I most like to see in a big screen environment. But I will say, like The Hunt was my favorite one of these three films. It sounds like it was James's as well. And I, that might have something to do with it. Like it's hard to laugh, like alone on your couch. Yeah. Like everything that's to me, at least that's not like a, a psychological thriller or like some bizarre drama movie, like nothing. There's like, it seems like there's just a little oomph missing from everything. And I think that's it. It's just did, not seeing it. Did y'all feel like that about the election? Like having to watch it kind of alone. I always watch that alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i i kind of like it felt i i needed to see it alone like i was just like wrapped up in my comfort zone and it was a very like personal emotional experience and i i liked it that way <laughs> as much as i have been shitting on trump this whole conversation i don't like any politicians i never feel great about any of them winning and um it's only like a relief when the worst one loses like that's the biggest endorphin rush i get out of any of this uh so i always view elections as kind of like a somber affair i vote diligently and then cringe waiting for the results to come in alone in my shell uh hiding from the world every single time i get it i just kind of yeah like joe biden was a hundred percent not my choice but i think that i have some faith that he at least will lend his ear to more progressive things in the future. Hopefully he spends just as much time dismantling everything Trump's done as Trump has spent dismantling everything Obama did. Like he he already announced, you know, his first day in office, he's going to have all the, these executive orders, which are going to reverse a lot of Trump is back on the Paris climate, you know, agreement. Yeah. Stuff like that. I mean, yeah, he wouldn't have been my first choice, but I think it's nice to, have a president who feels at least like, I don't know, a decent human being. Like we're go- like, we have that possibility to mend all these international relationships that we kind of lost. Yeah. Which, I, I, which makes me feel safer at least. He feels to me at least like more decent than Trump. And that's like such yeah. a step up. 
I will say if, you know, if anything was telling about Trump is that he was like one of the first presidents to like not bring a dog into the White House. (laughs) Yeah, what the fuck is wrong with you? What a piece of shit. So I'm really glad that we're going to have like White House dogs again, because I always look forward to the White House pups. So I'm surprised there's no footage of Trump just kicking a dog somewhere in the world. We'll see. I mean, (laughs) maybe one day tapes. That's probably what it is. He's probably pissing on shelter animals. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to guess if we had to like evaluate these films, James and I seem to enjoy The Hunt the most and Brittany seemed to enjoy Mr. America. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think that's funny that it seems like a kind of consensus that, well, no, Brittany, you enjoyed Borat more I did. than The Hunt. Mm, let me think about that. Like, I had more f- fun and I was yeah. more in- entertained with The Hunt hunt i think but i thoroughly enjoyed borat too because i i like to i think whenever i find i don't know there's a lot of disgusting things that it brings to the surface that are already on the surface but it, it's that south park style humor that right. kind of yeah. gives me that comfort to kind of laugh at shit that you're terrified by <laughs> um so i think i needed that i really needed that with all the crap going on but yeah, I mean, I mean, honestly, though, I don't feel like any of these movies really illuminated. I don't, I don't want to say like that, like they didn't have anything to say or don't speak to our political climate. But I just think our political climate is so fucked up right now that it's hard to even speak on it. Yeah, like it's hard for art to even go there. No one could have scripted the Four Seasons landscaping debacle. Like, no, that's it was just between too a dildo shop and a crematorium. <laughs> Brandon, you couldn't write that. I know you were no a one's that funny. writing major. You couldn't come up with that. It's with too the good. podium on the dirt. Oh with like God. a old garage door full of Trump signs and Rudy Giuliani just like freaking acting a fool throwing his hands up in the air apparently one of the speakers was a convicted sexual offender like on and on it goes you can't Uh, make a child sex offender too like the exact thing the QAnon types are supposed to think that trump's campaign is avenging against you can't make it up dude (laughs) it's too much but okay so maybe if none of them have anything to say though the best they can do is just capture this moment right i think they all tried that at some level i think the hunt is the most successful on that just capturing the vibe of right now well uh next week on the show we like i said earlier are going to talk about mike flanagan um we're actually going to talk about oculus which is one of his first like attention grabbing titles is that the, had, the mirror horror movie yeah it's about a haunted mirror okay and i had not seen it since 2014 since before we started blogging so it'll be interesting to revisit that and probably we'll talk about uh dr strange and all the other things that Mike Flanagan's done over the years. That will be next episode. Hopefully no more election talk. <laughs> Hopefully this fucking thing is like over. I feel like it's going to be hard to avoid it. I, don't I know. know. We'll see. We'll see. I feel like we always like skirt around po- politics as a topic. Like we just kind of vaguely reference what's going on. So it kind of felt great to talk about this directly for once. It did. Cause I'm always scared that like, I assume that people are thinking like in the way that I kind of get stuff. And then like, sometimes people just pop up and be like, Oh yeah. Like Donald Trump. And I'm like, what? I'm Oh my God. Yeah. It was refreshing. I don't know. I feel like a podcast is, it's all about talking and politics are so important, but 
you know, movies are separate from politics most of the time. I don't think that's true. Not all the time, but for our podcast, for the most part. We reference what's going on and we kind of pick movies based on the climate. Um, but it, it's not usually this direct. It's like, you know, yeah. the world these days. Uh, you know, no, like, but it, it was refreshing to just be out in the open. Yeah, I don't know if we've ever talked about any of this. I mean, I guess... When Trump was first elected, I picked Society for the movie of the month. And we talked <laughs> about a lot of like class divides. Um, rich eating the poor, literally. Kind of, yeah, and I guess with the metal exploitation episode, we kind of dabbed into some of that Reagan era satanic True. shit. You know, and I mean, QAnon. If, yeah. If anything, Hackle Lantern was really just so reflective <laughs> of, the, of the political climate in you know the late eighties. So I feel like picking society like at the beginning of the Trump era was like a very quaint choice, but was not nearly grotesque enough. <laughs> the shunt does not stack up yeah, next to It doesn't MAGA. quite capture what we've had to live through the last four years. I'll link uh, that society conversation from 2016 in the show notes for this episode. You can judge for yourself whether we <laughs> were scared enough for the fucking four years of hell that were going to come. We uh, thought that shunting <laughs> was so gross, and now I'm like, I would rather be in the shunting every oh. damn day. <laughs> oh boy. Bye, everybody. Bye. Goodbye.